indisputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Let's, Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Did anybody do anything for Lent? Anybody fast? or go without TV? Nobody. Okay, I, I thought so. I was talking to my good friend Ibrahim up the other back before Easter during the period of Lent and he said to me, So John, what does our church do to prepare for Easter? And I said, well, nothing. And I just found out I was right. You said, you do Nothing? Nothing? I said, well, you know, I can't remember exactly what I said to Ibrahim, but I said something like, Ibrahim, you know, we believe that our relationship with God is all by his grace and not by our works. It's not the things that we do that make us pleasing with God and we don't believe in particularly special days such as Easter or Christmas or anything. Just every day is the same to worship God and we're all saved by faith, not works. And I said, you know, actually it's probably more... I didn't didn't say this, but I could have said it's probably more mature not to fast before Easter or anything like that because it shows that your confidence is with God and not with yourself. I could have looked down my nose at Ibrahim and thought, how dare you... You Silly thing to think. Ibrahim could have said to me... He did say to me, you know what he said to me? He said to me, when I was living in Russia, even the communists fasted or they went without meat for all this time to prepare for Easter. 
Ibrahim grew up in an Islamic country. He said, the Muslims, they fast for Ramadan. And you do nothing? He didn't say that. <laughs> but it was implied, I thought, Ibrahim. It was implied. <laughs> Are you not serious about your faith? Now, take that minor difference of thinking between Ibrahim and myself and multiply it emotionally by a hundred times and welcome to the Church of Rome that Paul writes to. A church made up of Jewish believers in Jesus, a church made up of pagan Gentile believers in Jesus, all united now as one family under one Lord Jesus Christ doing church together. Jews who'd grown up their whole life living in Rome perhaps or maybe coming into Rome their whole life observing Passover, observing the Sabbath, eating kosher food, no pork, no prawns, with pagans, Romans, who'd grown up eating lots of pork, and didn't particularly care about days. Every day was a festival day and a party day perhaps. Lots of temples, lots of choices. And now they have to do church together. Sorting out, so what what do the Jewish believers do? Do they say, well, I'm going to start eating ham now, that's fine. Ham's on the menu. And Sabbath doesn't really matter. And Passover doesn't really matter when it's part of my whole psyche growing up. Uh, the pagan believers saying, well, I better stop eating pork now and I better stop eating meat that was sacrificed to idols in the temples, which is where most of our meat comes from, and I better start observing Passover. Maybe today I'd wear a skull cap. You can see the difficulties. And the question I want to ask that really gets raised is, who are the serious Christians? Well, what matters really matter? in church and you know that's a question for the church in Rome that Paul writes to a big question what matters what's who's a serious Christian and it's a question for us isn't it who are the serious Christians amongst you like what matters really matter big differences like here's here's a few I've, I've, I can't remember them all let me have a look at what I wrote down should we have pork or pancakes friends If you're Chinese, you want the pork, I know. I want the pork. Should it be Saturday or Sunday or any day? Does it not matter? What about baptism? What about alcohol? What about spiritual gifts? Or movies? Or which which movies? What about money? What if you just bought a new Mercedes? Or otherwise? What about Bible translations? I could could keep going, but I won't. I haven't even mentioned music. The more spiritual music. How do we do church? Well, here's one option. I'm going to go and find the no pork church. 
And that's what we do. We get our issue and we go look for the no pork church because I'm not going to eat pork as a Christian. Is that the right response? That's kind of where we live. Well, Paul writes to the Romans and I think he suggests it's not the right response. There are greater realities. In chapters 1 to 11, Paul spells out good news of Jesus, the gospel. How wonderful God has been to us, how much he loves us. In chapters 12 and 13, well chapter 12 starts like this, Therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. All of your life, your whole body. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. And in chapters 12 and 13, Paul says it's all about love. In society and in church. It's general advice. He gets to chapter 14. In fact, chapters 14 to 16 in this series we're looking at in exile together. And instead of general advice for all Christians, it becomes advice to the church in Rome. It's their issues. They're working out Christian community in Rome. And we don't live in Rome 2,000 years ago. But here's the thing. There is an enormous amount in this series that we are going to learn because Paul addresses what does it mean to be in exile, to be belonging to a new Lord, Jesus, and to no longer be fitting into the Jewish community quite the same because you're now Jesus. is no longer to be fitting into the Roman society because you're with Jesus and he's got a mission for you. That's what we're going to be looking at in these months. It'll be, about, it'll be a fair few talks. Today we're looking at how do you resolve your differences? Those sort of things I mentioned earlier. And here's the thing. First thing is don't try and solve them. First, do not try and solve them because when you try and solve them, you will want to resolve the issue your way because you're right and I'm right. First is mindset, how you face the world, how you think in church. First, it's grace and grace always leads to humility and love and abhors pride. Get that right, get your mindset right, then the differences can be resolved with humility, heart with fruitfulness in a healthy way, perhaps even as we learn to live with them. Well, here's what Paul says, verse 1. Accept the him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. There's a division in the church in Rome. There's those who are weak in faith, as Paul calls them, or there's identified, and there's those who are strong in faith. Now, listen, it's not that it doesn't matter. It's better to be strong, surely. But that's not the question Paul's dealing with here. Paul's dealing with the question of how do you deal with these differences? Well, that's pretty easy, isn't it? Someone's weak in the faith, someone's strong in the faith. Perhaps you should rebuke the weak, explain to them where they're wrong, ask them to change and then we'll all be of one mind. We'll all be strong. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, no, no, no. 
Accept the weak. I think accept's a bit of a weak, a weak word for that. It's more like welcome into society. Embrace. Not in a begrudging way, not with an agenda as the ESV translators, not so you can quarrel over opinions. Oh, I'll accept you, now let me change you as we have a debate. No, embrace. Verse 2, one man's faith allows him to eat everything but another man's faith is weak and he eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does for God has accepted him. Probably Jewish Christians mostly who felt they couldn't eat meat slaughtered to sacrifice to idols so they say no, we, to, to avoid any, con, any contamination we're going to be vegetarians. Others say no, it's okay, meat's just meat. It's okay. That's the issue. But it is a much, much, much bigger issue than whether you eat meat or not. The issue is that God welcomes you both. God embraces you both. And what are the grounds for God's embrace? Well, it's because I'm such a good Christian, I don't eat any meat in case I'd be contaminated. Oh, no, no, because I'm such a good Christian because I know that it's okay for me to eat meat. No, that's not why God embraces you. God embraces you because he loves you. Out of his grace, you do nothing to deserve his embrace. He welcomes you. He loves you. How then can you judge or despise the other and dispute over these things when it doesn't seem to matter too much to God your Lord? See, if you're going to argue about whether it's okay to eat meat or not, you seem to have missed this whole point of grace. Johnny and I, we get an invite from the Governor-General, Peter Crossgrove, to go to Yarralumwa and have dinner. On the invite it says, dress, smart, casual. It's a pretty big deal. I'm going to Canberra with Johnny for dinner with the Governor General. So I go to Maya and I find this really expensive, nice polo neck t-shirt and, and some smart casual pants and I go and buy these expensive canvas shoes and I go to Canberra. Johnny gets the same invite. Peter Cosgrove, he's ex-military. Johnny that probably means not a tuxedo, I'll wear my suit and tie with a flower in the top. So we get to Yarralumla. Peter Grosgrove's at the door. Why are we going to Yarralumla? Why did he invite us? I don't know why he invited us. But he's at the door and he welcomes us. He doesn't shake our hands, he gives us both a big hug. and says, welcome. And he takes us around to the kitchen and he meets his dog and meets his wife and we're given a whole tour of the place. He's so excited to have us there. The whole time I'm looking at Johnny and thinking, you dork. <laughs> it said smart casual. You're dressed in a suit. I'm so embarrassed. I thought I'm going to have to have words with him afterwards. The whole time we're there, Johnny's going, oh my goodness me, T-shirt and canvas shoes at the Governor General's. And the whole time we're there, all we're thinking about is how the other person's dressed. 
Peter Cosgrave, he's so happy to have us there. Sits us down, not at the dining room, at the kitchen table. Now, Johnny was in the wrong, I might just point this out. (laughs) The invite said, smart, casual. Johnny had weak faith in the Governor-General. But so what? Peter Cosgrove's not even looking at our clothes. He's just glad to have us there and we don't even know why. It's all grace. We're arguing about the clothes we're wearing. We're, We're missing out on joy. We're missing out on the priority of grace. We've both lost the plot. Our pride is wrapping us all up in our differences. And it can be just like that in church. Because there are differences. We could go through this room and find all sorts of opinions and thoughts and ways of doing stuff. And, and you know, as a church, we want diversity. That's something we at Penno say we embrace. People have come from different places. That's good. You get people from different places, like Jew and Gentile, there'll be differences. in appearance, in doctrine, in culture. And none of us deserves God's embrace. Don't you forget the cross. Do not forget the cross. There is no place for pride. We need a mindset of grace that controls. That we can welcome and embrace our brothers and sisters because God has welcomed and embraced us first. You know, God's grace, though, it's more than a welcome, it's more than an embrace, it's a total claim. God rescues us from slavery to draft us into a new slavery, slavery to Him. He owns us. He is Lord. Verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Literally someone else's slave. Who are you to judge someone else's slave? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. See, I'm not your slave and you are not my slave. As believers in Jesus, we stand or fall before our master, before God. And you know what? Despite our many failings, He gladly owns us and restores us. He will stand, for the Lord is able to make Him stand. Where have you come from? What are your differences? Well, the Lord's going to make you stand if you're His in Christ Jesus. You're not accountable to me. I'm not accountable to you. Paul raises a disputable issue of special days. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord, And gives thanks to God. God owns us. He purchased us. 
He purchased us at the price of his son. Therefore, whatever our differences are, we belong to him. He is Lord. Verse 7. Vic made mention of this earlier. For none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. It's always tricky to talk about potential differences. You know, let me go back to my list. If you have a certain view of baptism, you have it to the Lord. Not for your own convenience. If you have a view of alcohol, whether it's okay for a Christian to drink it or not, you have it to the Lord, not for your own convenience. If you have a certain view of spiritual gifts, you have that to the Lord. Submitting to his will. If you like one sort of music more than another, you do that to the Lord. He owns you. And the mindset of grace is to be far bigger than our differences. Everything we do should be not to please other men, but our Lord. In fact, this gets to the very heart of the Gospel. Verse 9. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. The cross, the resurrection, is to declare that Jesus is Lord, that he is my Lord and that he owns me that I am accountable to him. And it's all of grace and there is no place for pride. So you've got to adopt this mindset before you try and sort out your differences. Jesus is Lord. I'm not Lord, you're not Lord. And I don't deserve to have him as my Lord, but he embraces me and accepts me as Lord. I belong to him. Let me give you another story. Imagine I've owned three dogs. Fido, Toby and Spot. I love my dogs. I care for my dogs. I get so much pleasure out of my dogs. I sacrifice for my dogs. And I expect them to obey me. But here's the thing. Sometimes Fido poos on the carpet. Sometimes Toby doesn't listen. She gets so excited and I say and she just runs around. Sometimes Spot rolls in dead things and other smelly things and just stinks. Spot walks in the room. Oh, Spot. And you know what? They're all dogs. They all do all sorts of disgusting things. Unmentionable things that we don't want to talk about. One day, one day, uh, Fido, Spot says to Toby, you know, Fido poos on the carpet (laughs) sometimes. It's not acceptable. I think John should get rid of Fido. It's really hard to live with another dog that poos on the carpet. I think you're right. Later that day, I've got to get my Fido's and Toby's worked out, so I've got to look at my notes. One day, Fido says to Spot, Toby is so disobedient. You know, 
John will call out and tell Toby to do something, Fido to spot Toby to do something, and, and Toby doesn't listen. I think John should get rid of Toby. It's really hard to live with a dog that doesn't obey its master all the time. Later that day, Toby says to Fido, Spot stinks. Spot's disgusting. I think John should get rid of Spot. It's really hard to live with a dog that smells a lot of the time. Yeah? Fair enough. Here's the thing. John knows it all. John knows Toby's disobedient sometimes. He knows Fido poos on the carpet sometimes. He knows that spots stink sometimes and he wishes he'd stop rolling and all that stinky stuff. But John loves his dogs. And John accepts his dogs despite their failings. And John cares for them. What's Fido done to deserve John's love? Not much. John chose Fido, loves Fido, for who Fido is. It's all grace. It's all love. Can you see that this mindset of grace, that we belong to God, is far, far bigger than our little differences and our minor irritations? And the dogs are not accountable to each other but to their master who loves them. They should obey. They should do whatever they can to please their master. Everything they do should be to please John. I like that. Often we think that this church is my church. And that others must conform to my preference, my way. Because of course I'm right. But this is the church of the gospel of grace. Long way before it's your church. It has been won by the shed blood of Jesus. We are his body, he is the head, this is His church. And none of us deserve His goodness. This should be the great unity that binds us together way ahead of our differences. And because God owns us, God judges. We're accountable to God. When disputable matters cause friction, remember this, God is your judge. God is their judge. You are not judge. Look at verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Do not place yourself in in the judgment seat. You do not belong there. You belong in the dock. It is the height of pride and presumption 
to sit in God's judgment seat. Your place is the dock and as you're sitting in the dock, guess what? You're imperfect. You're worthy of judgment. Case closed. Don't get in the judgment seat. Paul quotes the prophet Isaiah. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess to God or praise God. One day we will all stand before God's judgment seat on bended knee in humility. And that should affect how we approach one another. But you know, there's even more in this quotation. It's really helpful to put this quotation from Isaiah back in its original context because it tells us more about God's judgment. Isaiah 45, verse 22. I'm going to read this section for you where this quote comes from. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Salvation only in God, only in God. You are not judged. By myself I have sworn with my mouth, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Here it is. Before me every knee will bow. By me every tongue will swear. One day you will all stand before the judgment seat of God who saves, alone can save. They will say of me, In the Lord are righteousness and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. Only in the Lord is righteousness. Only in the Lord is strength. And those who reject him will be put to shame when they come before his judgment seat. He is alone righteous. You are not righteous. You are not worthy. You are not powerful. He alone is righteous. And if you come before him as his enemy, you will be put to shame. Then the last verse. But in the Lord, all the descendants of Israel will be found righteous and will exalt. What a wonderful passage. If you are one of God's people, which in the new covenant means someone who has put their faith in Jesus, the Messiah, you will be found righteous and you will exalt. Where does your righteousness come from? It doesn't come from yourself. Where does your brother or sister in church's righteousness come from? It doesn't come from themselves. It doesn't come from drinking alcohol or not drinking alcohol or having this view of spiritual gifts or that view of spiritual gifts. Your righteousness comes from the Lord and in him you will exalt. He alone can save. And one day we will all bend the knee and confess his greatness. He is judge. He is Lord. Let's go back to Romans. The last verse I want us to look at, verse 12. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God.
You don't do the judging. God does the judging. He is master. And he is rich in mercy and overflowing with grace. It's a mentality of grace and the goodness of God that impacts how we do church together. You know, imagine that we're all fashion designers. We're all competing in this competition, a bit like Eurovision. Go Dami, number two, well done. And uh, we're all standing in front of the judges and you're looking at each other. She's got shoes from five years ago and a hat that's tattered and worn and there are paint marks all over her. Look at him. His shorts are way too tight (laughs) and his T-shirt's way too big. And you're looking at each other and you're all dressed in rags. You look terrible. And you look at yourself and you go, oh gosh, look at me, I'm dressed in rags too. I look terrible. Like a bad day at Vinnie's. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of before the judgment seat. The judge is going to say, we're all going to stand there, the judge is going to say, Oh my goodness me, where did you get that from? How did, how did you design that? That's terrible. So, so can you see how that impacts how we look at each other? Yes, her hat looks terrible. Yes, her shoes are five years old and way out of date. Yes, but, but look at me. I'm no better. We all stand before the judgment seat having our fashion. You know what the judge does? He takes us and he clothes us in the glory and the majesty of his son. And he says, first rate, you look great. I've never seen you look better. This is so good. And he takes our brother or our sister and he clothes them in the majesty and the glory of his son. He says, hallelujah, this is wonderful. Oh, my people, how I love them. Can you see how that breeds humility and grace towards others? We're all struggling and God is good to all of us. It's good news. So who are the serious Christians? And what matters really matter in church life? The serious Christians are those who have their mindset built on the grace of God. It's those who realise that God welcomes them in his son Jesus and that God owns them and that God alone judges them. This passage is a warning against any form of self-righteousness. The self-righteousness that says, I'm free in Christ and so much more mature than my brother or sister. That's self-righteousness, that's pride, that's sin. The self-righteousness that says, I'm going to be absolutely serious about following Jesus and I'm not going to blah, blah, blah and looks down at those whose morals are so weak or whatever the issue is. That is pride, that is sin, that is self-righteousness. There's no place for that. We all struggle with grace. We want rules. 
We want to know who is right and who is wrong, who is weak in faith, who is strong. We want all of our ducks in a row. We want this so we can be in control and accept or reject and pass judgment and be like God. Now, don't misunderstand me. There is a place for discernment. We do want to pursue the truth and we want to be strong. But that is not the issue Paul's addressing here. He's going way above those issues to the priority of grace in church. God welcomes, God owns, God judges. You are not God. To put yourself in the place of God, to rule, seek to rule over his church according to your preferences is sin. We need each other. Even despite differences, we need to embrace. We're all subjects of grace and we must relate to one another controlled by this mindset of grace. There's this song we sing May the mind of Christ my Saviour live in me from day to day by his power and his love controlling all I do and say. Great song. What is the mind of Christ? What is that controlled by? If you know anything about the Gospel, you will know the mind of Christ is controlled by his grace, his undeserved love, his generosity, his mercy. May ours be as our mind be as his mind. Let me pray. Father God, give us a greater grasp of your gospel, of your truth, by the power of your spirit that we might be transformed into trophies of grace who become agents of grace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.